Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cuatro Cuatro Dos. Once again, this is your boy Christian, and today I have a very, very special guest, uh, somebody that you know I look up to, honestly, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people, you know, out there respect just because he's been around the city so long, and you know his soccer knowledge is, you know, is second to none. So uh, I got Glenn Davis. So how are you doing, Glenn? Thank you for for doing this. Christian, thanks for having me on the show. Um, if longevity stands for anything and people finally get to know you, you know, you hang around somewhere long enough, somebody's going to know who you are. That's the I, way it works. Hey, that, that's good to know. And we, we're glad to have you. You know, you know, there's so many people out there uh, that, you know, they want to do what you're doing, but obviously not everybody's doing it with the same passion and with the same love. So we appreciate that, you know, as fans, as soccer people. So, you know, we, we want to say thank you, you know, first of all. But basically what I wanted to do today is just kind of, you know, go through your life a little bit, kind of, you know, ask you questions uh, about how growing up, you know, in, in America, you know, it's it's a whole different, um, like, you know, I'm Argentinian. So obviously my, the way I see soccer is completely different, uh, you know, especially here in the United States, it's, it's a whole different, it's like a new game for everybody, you know, it, it's a new thing. Uh, the sport, you know, has grown so much since, you know, since you were playing back in the 80s to, to today, you know, there's so many millions of dollars more. Uh, so I just wanted to see your perspective, you know, as growing up, you know, as a kid, you know, maybe playing in, as, a, as a child and then going into college and then, you know, becoming a professional and then what you see the, the soccer today. But one of the things that I saw in, in your Wikipedia, you know, and digging through through your stuff uh, was, you know, you grew up in, in New Jersey. So how was that growing up in, on the East Coast? And, you know, how, how was soccer back in the day when, when you were young over there? Yeah, so here's the real difference. Uh, and first of all, thanks for your show, Quattro Quattro Dos. Uh, obviously, you're Argentine, so I, I, I must <laughs> no. when it comes to the world of soccer. Um, but, you know, you know, things were completely different uh, back in, in these days. And so I'm talking about the 70s. Um, which, which very much ages me, but soccer was not in the suburbs. It was not in Spring, Texas. It was not in Katy, Texas, to make an example here in Houston. Uh, it was basically around the inner city with ethnic groups that had brought the sport to America that they loved. So fortunately, where I was in New Jersey, uh, I was close to a lot of pockets of ethnicity, whether it's areas that were all German, areas that were all Scotch, uh, areas that uh, were predominantly Irish. So that's where the soccer was played. I got a really great stroke of luck because I had somebody from those communities come out and become my coach because I was out in the suburbs a little bit west of New York City. Um, my father had moved our family out there. He was, a, he was a, a Marine veteran. He wanted to get away from the city. And, um, you know, uh, our ability to get this coach and then for him to bring us into those ethnic areas is, is really a lot how um, I became in, in love with the soccer. Now, the other 
The other key components were I had a brother, brother who was an All-American goalkeeper. He got drafted in the North American Soccer League. And then I lived 20 minutes away from Giants Stadium. So I got to see Pelé, Beckenbauer. I saw Maradona come with Argentina when he was an 18-year-old kid after they won the 78 World Cup. So, wow. you know, I had a lot of tremendous influences. That's just a great reminder that if you got a passionate youth coach, you got a professional soccer team in your town like the Dynamo, which should be a part of, uh, and the Dash, I would put in there, should be a part of player development for any youth club here, going to those games and seeing pros. Now, the Dynamo have a lot of work to do in that area, but these were the influences that I had. So now the game is all over the place. Now a kid from Alabama named Chris Richards, you know, can get signed by Bayern Munich and loaned out to Hoffenheim, right? So it's just incredibly different. The amount of people playing the game, um, the the reach it has, uh, it's become a moneymaker in the youth soccer community. So it's, it's, it's on a completely different level. And, And even, even from a professional standpoint, you know, the New York Cosmos were owned by Warner Brothers, which, you know, they had all kinds of money behind them, the Atari division of computers. And, you know, there were these other teams that were sort of mom and pop teams in the North American Soccer League trying to keep up with the New York Cosmos who had Pelé, Carlos Alberto, uh, Mourinho, Giorgio Quinalia, Vladislav Bogicevic, all these guys that just became gods to kids like me. And guys like me. And of course, then we do the college route. And then, you know, I was fortunate to play a couple years in pro leagues, which was very different um, than it is now. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the care that athletes get now, the knowledge, sports medicine, or, you know, equipment, gear. I mean, kids on youth clubs now had more equipment and gear than we ever did as professional <laughs> soccer players. So it's very different. It, it allows me to have this lens and it allows me to appreciate the way I came up in the game because it was number one priority, the, the game and the passion for it. And that's why I've been able to spend a lifetime uh, avoiding the corporate world. Right. Hey, that's good. Um, so you were talking about your youth coaches. Is this uh, Tom McDonald? And and if it is, I want you to talk about him because I think uh, giving credit, you know, to those people, like, for example, I could name a couple of people that maybe instill that passion in me. I just wanted, you know, I wanted to hear how he maybe kind of shaped you into becoming a, a soccer guy, you know? Yeah, um, you know, mentioning his name makes me a little emotional because he was he was almost like a second father to me. He made soccer such an exciting game. He was a diminutive little Scotsman from Kearney area in New Jersey, which is where a lot of the Scots settled. So that's where Todd Ramos was from that area. John Harks, a, a, a lot of those guys that helped to put Kearney on the map. But, you know, um, he just made the game so exciting to us. And uh just was a very big influence when it comes to, you know, lighting the fire on, under, under a group of kids. And, you know, my high school team and my club team were very successful teams that, that sent guys on to all different colleges around the country. Uh, you know, other pros, including Dan Canner, who played for the New York Cosmos, was a great childhood friend of mine. Uh, God rest his soul. He's passed away. So has Tom McDonald. Um, but just highly influential. And it just is a real simple reminder that, you know, if you get the right youth coach, forget about the club you're in. If you have the right youth coach, it, 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 it can just threefold 
uh, impress upon a young person. You know, it's just like getting the best teacher. I never forget, I went to Boston University on a full scholarship at first. And I remember there were not a lot of classes I liked and I probably wasn't the best student. And I remember I had, believe it or not, an art class where we were identifying pieces of art from all the different, you know, uh, you know Baroque period, all the different periods where the great artists were coming from. And, you know, to this day, I remember that teacher and that teacher made it so interesting uh, that he brought me into a subject that I really didn't have a lot of knowledge about or passion for. And, and to this day now, I'm a, I'm a big art guy and I collect a few local pieces of art from local artists. So, I mean, this is how it works. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, going into your, your college career, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. So you said you went to a, a Boston University with a full ride and then you went to Davis Elkins College. How, how was that experience, you know, playing soccer in college? Back in well, college was a little tumultuous for me. I, 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 I want to be, you know, very uh, upfront. Um, I was probably a bit immature uh, when I went to college. Um, I was playing well. Uh, I was on Boston University, a program that was trying to emerge. Uh, at the time that I went to college, a lot of the top programs in the country were smaller colleges. Philadelphia Textile, Hartwick was a national champion that produced national team players like Glenn Myernick, um, Quincy College in Illinois, uh, St. Louis University was always, uh, you know, a, a big soccer. So Southern Connecticut, I mean, all these smaller colleges really had adapted soccer because they didn't have football programs, most of them. So those were the places you went. Those were the teams that you watched uh, in, in, on the East Coast. So that's where my influence was. I had some struggles in Boston. Uh, I, I ended up transferring to Davis and Elkins College because I, I had a one-track mind. I wanted to be a professional soccer player and I wanted to get there somehow. And um, I think my first year anywhere as a freshman was probably going to be a bit of a challenge. And to all those coaches who had to put up with me, I'm very, very <laughs> sorry. And, and, and I regret putting you through hell. Nice, nice. And how was that transition? You know, because you were talking about, you know, you had one goal basically to become a professional player and, and when well, you accomplished that. So how was that, you know, transition, you know, working through college and then becoming that professional player? What was that like? Yeah, it wasn't easy. I, I had various college coaches. Um, you, you know, I, I have to say, I'm not sure about my development in the college game. I, I think, you know, I had Trinidad and Tobago national team teammates, um, guys from all over the world, guys that were older because I went to an NAIA program. So I, a lot of ways, you know, we all just love soccer. We were in the hills of West Virginia. We played in gyms in the winter, you know, it's four feet of snow outside. We get all bundled up and we play in the gym for, for hours in the wintertime. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of it was self-driven. Um, and then you had good mentors along the way and, and, and people that helped you, including your teammates. And then basically I got into the ASL, uh, you know, by trying out. I mean, I was identified as a, as a college player that was, worth giving a, an opportunity and the rest is history played in a couple ASL championships and came here to Houston. Soccer was in a very different place. Then we played at Butler stadium. We played at Del Mar stadium, which are high school facilities. We'd go on the road and sometimes we'd play in uh, the, the Pontiac Silverdome. 
you know, in Detroit, which isn't even exist anymore, the Gator Bowl in Florida. So we'd play either in a high school stadium locally or, uh, uh, you know, an NFL stadium with a couple thousand people. So very different times. Very grateful for those times. It helped to shape me. Got to play with some amazing players. Got to play against some World Cup stars. Um, and all of it goes into the pot of shaping you and um, creating kind of, you know, your outlook on the sport. Um, and then, of course, you've got to be uh, thinking as the sport modernizes and continues to go forward. You know, a lot of my thinking has to change now in the way I analyze a game or look at a game. Um, so um, I'm grateful for the, all, all the experiences. They were fun. I got to mark and cover, uh, you know, guys like Nanny Kubias, uh, hardened veterans who played in the English First Division. There was no Premier League and got to play alongside some great players, a captain of Hungary and, you know, a guy named Peter Carr who played in the first division in England. So, uh, you know, all these things I'm very thankful for and even more thankful for now. And uh, going into your whole uh, professional career, I just wanted to, I wanted to know what, what it is to be a professional, maybe back in the eighties. Um, can you kind of take us like a day, like a regular day as a professional soccer player in the United States in the 1980s. How, how yeah, was that yeah, like? Yeah, you had to be pretty self-motivated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a good example here in Houston. Um, you know, back in those days, and I think they did this with the Dash, which is which is a pretty smart thing. But back in those days, they cut a deal with an with an apartment complex for all the players. You know, the the ones that were married. Uh, the coaching staff. Um, so, you know, you all kind of lived in one area, which that was, you know, sometimes you don't really want to see somebody, you know what I mean? You want a little bit of your own space. Um, but that was interesting in itself. That was done also probably for economics and logistics and, and things like that. Uh, you know, we trained uh, either out uh, on South Main at, at Butler Stadium uh, or we uh, trained at HBU. Uh, we used to train before the Houston Rockets and the Rockets were practicing at Houston Baptist University to tell you where the NBA was. The only difference was we'd be there before them using the lockers and they'd come in and yell, hey, you, you know, you Dynamo, <laughs> Dynamo's guys, you got to get out of here. You know, and then Fitch would walk in, Elijah Wan and all these guys would walk by. And of course, we'd go out and jump in our Volkswagen rabbits while these guys were driving in, in Mercedes <laughs> Benzes, you know, but it, it was all what was going on. It was great. Um, you know, we would, we would train a lot. You had to be self-motivated too. Uh, I mean, you don't have back in those days, the staff, you don't have a fitness guy telling you, you got to come and do this to, to, to rehab and get yourself back on the field through physical therapy. There was a lot of self-motivation uh, from all the guys that, that, that I was on. I mean, you know, for me to sit here and think that a guy that started in the 74 World Cup, Wim Serbier for the Netherlands against Germany, was living in an apartment complex called the Shannon Apartments in Houston, Texas, back in those days, playing for the Houston Dynamos. And that's crazy. <laughs> Wim, God rest his soul. Uh, I, I think it had a lot of financial problems. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. Uh, and the quality of some of the players that were there it just yeah. we, we were just before our time that's what a lot of us say oh that that's crazy that's crazy to think that you know soccer was completely different you know you see now all the big stars you know uh like you see these documentaries like thunderland till i die and you see like a second third division team with 
great facilities and you know all the things that they it, have it, at their really, it really it really it really is crazy and and the fact that you recognize that as a young guy yeah. um you know maybe that's what this interview puts out there you know you you get older and you see how you know for me to see where this game has gotten for me to see that there's infrastructure in this stadium in Houston i mean it's still every morning when i think of that stadium which is a couple miles away from where i live i just say to myself you know that wasn't even nobody even proposed that That wasn't even a thought that crossed anybody's mind in the 80s that you were going to build a stadium for soccer. In fact, the coolest stadium to play in was Lockhart Stadium, which is the one that Inter-Miami has redone now beautifully. Okay, it's not going to be their ultimate stadium. But back then, Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale was basically a square with bleachers around it. But it had a gorgeous surface and the fans were close to the field. That was like... To me, the primo place. Top notch. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, you also played indoor soccer. How so? Like, how's that transition? You know, playing indoor soccer because you know that's a whole different game right there. Uh, you know, it's still soccer, but you know, it's like a whole different like game. Different mentality. Different sport. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a different sport. It was a very dark period for me because I had a broken navicular joint, which is the joint that that uh, Yao Ming had, which they put screws in before the Olympics, if you remember that. And I remember yeah. that happening and them trying to rush him to play in the Olympics. And I said, that's not great for a guy that's that big and puts that much right. pressure. Yeah. It's at the top of your foot. It continually kept breaking for me. So I never got yeah. to play a lot of indoor soccer. I, I played a handful of games. I mean, I was on the roster of a team, but, but like I said, it was like, okay, you go to the weight room. There was nobody really doing anything around my injury or guiding me as to, you, you know, what am I going to do to get back? And of course I get back and I guess like the third game in uh, I'm against the boards in a hockey arena and, you know, somebody comes across the top of the same foot and the thing breaks again. So I, my indoor experiences were not really happy ones. Uh, although, you know, there was a time period in the United States where the indoor game was drawing a spectacular amount of fans. And of course our team here in Houston, the Houston hotshots, um, Filled, filled the summit back in the day, which is now Osteen's church, but, but filled it on, on occasions and was owned by Giorgio Berlanghi um, and actually uh, Alfredo Brenner, uh, the brother of Gabrielle Brenner. So um, yeah, indoor was a bit of a dark period for me, <laughs> but that wasn't for everybody. Uh, but, you know, again, it's just another part of the experiences of that life, yeah. make, make up your life. Interesting. That's that's very interesting because you know nowadays there's a there's a couple of teams here in Houston like indoor soccer teams that they kind of do you know the whole traveling and, and there's a league but obviously I I you know it's not probably not the same as as it was back then but um I wanted to ask you like a more specific question about your position because you played uh, center back right which is what I grew up playing too you know, back in high school and stuff like that. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of dig in a little bit into that. You know, how, how, how is it, you know, back in the day playing, you know, you know, center back against, you know, it, you know, the, the style of soccer was completely different. I imagine to now. So like, what are, what are the differences that, that you kind of see there? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, Eddie Robinson and I, because we're both former center backs, we talk about this a lot and and look, look, the game has gotten modernized. The position has changed. Uh, basically, your job in my day was, you know, I'm six foot two, was good in the air, break up plays, mark, mark talented center forwards, get the ball and give it, give it to the more skilled players, which, you know, in, in this case on my team was a Yugoslavian guy named Les Shkreli, uh, was a guy named Beto, Beto de Santos, you know, his his, uh, his nephews, uh, Gio and Jonathan, and, you know, um, it was different. You know, you mark somebody, you denied the turn, you won the ball, you gave it to somebody quickly, uh, you moved up the field, you stayed, in, uh, you stayed central always because that's the, the main area you were protecting. The ball got out wide. You, you tried not to get dragged out of the middle. You tried to stay in the middle because ultimately that's where the ball is going to come and you want to be there you know, to be the guy that heads it away or clears it. Um, I got a lot of great instruction from an English first division player that really helped take my game to the next level. In fact, helped help, help me become an all-star. Um, but it's very different. You know, now we look at, we look at games and I'm sure the Dynamo, you know, and their center backs are going to flare out and, and leave a big space between them. So, you know, a number yeah. six can come back in and be the playmaker and, and set play. So I think the positions changed. I think the qualifications for the position are changed. In some cases, I feel like people have become less of a good one-on-one -on -one defender, but maybe better ball players. In other words, as build-in play and setting play and passers of the ball, um, that kind of thing. But the position has evolved, evolved immensely. And again, you know, I, I, I put myself in that situation and go, wow, okay, you would have been playing the game a lot differently uh, if you were around right now in Major League Soccer. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a whole different thing, and I not well. I mean, I'm not, you know, uh, I haven't played, you know, that long, but I can, I can kind of see, you know, the the difference between me, you know, me playing as as a younger guy here in high school, and then you know how people play nowadays. It, it, it's only been like what ten years, but you know, there's there's been differences a lot, especially with goalkeepers now playing with their feet more yeah. and stuff like that. So it's yes. interesting. No question. Yeah. And then going kind of into that, you know, uh, you did a little bit of coaching. So, you know, how, how was that, you know, period in your life, you know, going to the whole youth yeah, coaching? Yeah, wonderful period. Um, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation with the GM, Pat Onstad, um, and I did more than a little coach. I did a lot of coaching. I did about <laughs> probably 10 years. And, you know, we built a, a program, a former teammate of mine, Tony Johnson, kind of from scratch. We just took a team every year and, and built it. And this is when the club model was developing and actually was started here in Houston by the Texans soccer club with an Englishman named Roy Reese and another guy named J.R. Lee was kind of Roy's right-hand man. And, and we just kind of modeled it after that. Uh, we became great competitors of those. Both clubs were putting players into major league soccer. You know, you had the, the, the Baba brothers and 
Rusty Pierce coming from Texans. You had Chris Bondi. You had Josh Gardner. You had a bunch of guys coming from our club. We put a lot of guys into Major League Soccer back in those days on two practices a week and, and a game on the weekend and a bunch of tournaments. The club model now, as you know, is completely different. Tons of money being made. It's a very different thing. But this was one of the most satisfying periods of my life. I still have tremendous uh, uh, kind of friendships with, with a lot of those players that have gone on to, to win national championships in college, to continue in the game as coaches. Many of them are coaches, uh, college coaches uh, around the country. Chris Bondi just got named the coach of the University of Connecticut. You got Chad Riley, who was in the NCAA College Cup with Notre Dame lost in the semifinals on penalty kicks to the eventual national champions, Clemson. So we got a really rich soccer history here. And you know, I'm really probing and pushing the Dynamo organization to embrace that more. They have not wanted to embrace that in the past under prior leadership. And I think that's going to change because if we really do want a culture uh, change and an identity change here, it has to include a lot of the kids that played youth soccer, not just the the championship teams. Of course, it has to be the championship teams. And every year, the, the, the players that are coming off the current Dynamo team as potentials to work in the organization. But you've got to take it even farther back because um, it, 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 it's vital. When you have kids that have grown up on these fields to go on to these heights, Eric Quill is now an assistant coach. Um, for the Columbus crew. I mean, this is a guy that should be working for the Houston Dynamo, like Gardner, in my opinion. Okay, so I'm gonna soapbox it here a little bit. But um, those were great times working with kids. I learned a tremendous amount. I learned to become a better coach. I took coaching licenses, um, having to deal with, with, with parents and players of all different ages, fantastic. And really, I, 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 I I robbed from Peter to pay Paul. I mean, I took a lot of the lessons from my youth coach and that's how all these great coaching trees begin. You know, I mean, there were lessons that are still applicable from my youth coach in the seventies that, that work today. Now there are other things that don't work as well. Well, okay. But there are a lot of things that do. And at the end of the day, um, you know, lighting the fire of passion under kids, enjoying what you're doing. I absolutely loved coaching. I was out, at Bear Creek Park, uh, honestly, six, seven days of the week. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, sometimes still yearn for those times. That's crazy. That's crazy. I also practiced at Bear Creek Park when I was a kid. So that, a that's great, funny. Yeah. A lot of great players have come oh, through, yeah. through Bear Creek Park. A lot of legends in their own mind also come through Bear Creek mm. Park. But it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. I mean, you know, you think of that history of that field alone, and that's before we talk about Meyer Park and all the other facilities around Houston. Um, when you think of the players that played, uh, you know, on those surfaces out there as little, little kids and have gone on now to be coaches of college programs, assistant coaches in major league soccer, have had professional careers, have gone and played overseas. It's incredible. And, and I, I really urge your listeners and, and, and people to not forget about the great soccer history. Don't, don't live in it, but we do need to take pride in that. Uh, we have it going back to the late 60s. Um, Seattle has found a way to cultivate it and use it as, a, as an overall big picture. Hey, look, we're all in it together here. Pride of Seattle soccer. Well, we should be doing that with Houston. 
And we haven't had the leadership in place that knew how to do that or even aware of it probably and didn't really want to listen to it. I think we do now and I think we can change that. And that will, that will really uh, help to send, send an identity and a culture change that embraces, collaborates, works with the Houston soccer community instead of being divisive with it. Because right now it should be better. It should be better. We should have all oars pulling in the same direction in the boat. Yeah, it, it's crazy that you mentioned, you know, the, the whole history of, of Houston, you know, being a soccer city since the 60s, 70s. And and it's crazy because when I started, you know, doing this podcast, a show, um, the first thing I did, you know, was kind of go back and, and look and to see, you know, where everything kind of started in a way. And and when you you go back and you look, you're like, wow, we had a professional team way before, you know, this professional team. 60s. Yeah, there was soccer way before, you know, the city was, you know, the city that it is today. 60s in the Astrodome, which was this crazy. Uh, seventh or eighth wonder of the world. Right. Um, there's still a few of those guys here in Houston. Billy Safidis is one of them. Um, and they played in the Astrodome. Uh, I mean, prior to that, the first ever soccer game in the Astrodome was Real Madrid and West Ham United. West wow. Ham United had... Uh, that was probably 67. West Ham United had Bobby Moore, who in 66 lifted the World Cup, the only time crazy. England won it. Can you imagine wow. that? That's history. I mean, this is incredible history. And nobody yeah. knows about this. Nobody talks about this. Wow, that's and By the way, I do want to make sure I, I, I say this um, because, you know, I'm kind of a conduit here, I feel, for, for a lot of people even going back to those times and to you know, to current people, we're all in this together, but there have been a tremendous amount of unnamed people that have done tremendous work building our youth community, our adult communities, and they have never been acknowledged. So I just really want to mention that there's a lot of people that were real builders here in Houston. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to get as many as we can on this show. So let, let's do it. Um, help you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then just to, to kind of finish off, you know, this whole new, uh, like face in your career as a, as a broadcaster, how, you know, how did that spark up and, you know, how was it? Let me just go ahead and throw you all the questions in there, but how was it, you know, uh, calling world cups and, you know, champions league said, yeah, you know, you did the men's national team, you did Olympics, you know, what are those experiences like? Yeah, I got tremendous opportunity. I got a lot of support from a lot of great people. Um, I think they recognize my passion. Becoming a broadcaster is a completely different thing. Um, it became a third career, frankly, um, and it's now 25 years, seven or eight World Cups, networks like Fox, ESPN, NBC Olympics. Um, you know, there was, a, there, was, there was Fox Sports World at the time, which was taking in feeds from around the world, call it games. I was in the right place at the right time. I got to really uh, cut my teeth doing a lot of games off monitors. Um, I mean, back in the early years of MLS, I, I was doing color. I started as a color analyst and I was doing it for a couple different teams, Kansas City, Tampa, the Dallas Burn, whole bunch of teams working with tremendous guys like, like Bill, Bill Land, Brad Sham, a whole bunch of different tremendous historic broadcasters. So I was a really, really lucky guy. The timing was right for me. It may not have been right as a professional player with, with the height of the league, but it was as a commentator. So it led to a lot of opportunity, um, college games, international games, all that you mentioned. Ricky Davis, the former Cosmo guy, and I used to 
to do uh, Serie A games on the weekend in Los Angeles. Um, so I was flying out there a lot and just, just it's, it's a wonderful medium to, to learn. And I really thought I could be a very, very good analyst. And I tied in the youth coaching to that and getting coaching points across with clarity. Uh, but then, you know, with the changing tide, and a lot of the 94 guys coming out, you know, I kind of figured, wow, I better learn how to do play-by-play -play because, you know, a lot of these guys based on their name, their notoriety uh, yeah. are, are going to end up grabbing the color positions. Um, yeah. So this may be very versatile. Um, I can host, you know, I can do play-by-play, -play, which is really my bread and butter now. Got a couple radio shows. Um, if I had to step in and be an analyst, I could do it in a New York minute. I've learned and understand the business more. I have great conversations with the Dynamo TV director uh, who heads up the TV side and, and the radio side of it, Brock Jessel. Um, I think I have a lot of things to add there when it comes to overall production now because I've learned that. The beginning did not know that. Uh, yeah. Green as could be, had no clue what I was doing and opportunity came. So it, it's awesome. taken me around the world, the stadiums in Central America, stadiums in Europe, um, yeah, it's, it's, it really is pretty remarkable because I was not trained for any of this. That, that's amazing. That, I mean, that I'm kind of getting into that a little bit now, you know, just doing that on, on the weekends on the friends league, but I, I just, it's, it seems amazing. You know, the, also the opportunities that come with it, you know, like you said, traveling and getting to know people and, and just watching soccer, you know, which is probably the best thing, you know, you just pretty, it's you know, pretty, sit there and watch. Good, it's a pretty good gig. It's a nice gig, right? You yeah. Know, I mean, you put a lot into it. You care about it. I think, I think people, I hope people connect with my passion, my seriousness, my love of the game. Those are the things that I feel, um, you know, uh, I do get a little critical, but I do it in a healthy way. It's never to assassinate anyone's character. It's because I care. Um, yeah. And, you know, we all sometimes want things to be different and, and want to see things accelerated specific to this market. And, and, and I like some of the changes that we're seeing now with the Dynamo. Yeah. So I, I didn't want specifically, I didn't want to get into the Dynamo because I know we could probably talk for hours. Oh, we uh, could talk for hours. Yeah. And, and I know. Okay. Good yeah. thing. By the way, the general manager, Pat Onstad, likes to talk too. And I think, you know, if, if you heard my Soccer Matters show this week, we had Pat on, we had the new coach, Paolo Nagamura on ESPN 97.5. And we also had on uh, Asher Mendelson, who's the new you know, technical director. These guys are transparent. They're communicative. They're talking. They're not hiding. This is great. They're not afraid of a, a couple of difficult questions. And this is the way to turn it around. Prior, sure. we've been hiding. We have to give Tab Ramos a lot of credit because Tab brought to the coaching position tremendous transparency. And, and I think yeah. he set the tone there. You are not coming back without being transparent, without communicating to what's left of your fan base and to the media. If you don't yeah. do that, you got no chance. You know, the fact that we had closed practices under a coach in the past is an absolute joke. And to, to allow that was an absolute joke, okay? not 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 mincing any words here okay um but it's frustrating when you care about this market you care about the sport and you feel like people don't okay and that they're holding preserving and sitting in positions but really want to keep at arm's length people that can help them and people from the houston soccer community that can help them 
not imports, Houston soccer community. Exactly. I mean, I agree a thousand percent with everything you said. Um, but just to let you go now, I, I just have five questions, kind of like a fast round, you know, Let's do just it. top of your head. And then, you know, we'll let, we'll let you go because right. I know we, you have stuff to do. Um, but yeah, favorite player ever. First question. Johan Cruyff, the Netherlands and Ajax. Awesome. Team to watch today. Ooh, team to watch today. That's a good one. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go. Uh, there's a couple that you could obviously put into that yeah. category. I'm going to go with Arsenal because I think Arteta is beginning to turn it around. They've gotten a couple of good results. It seems like it's a team that's bonding a little bit more and they're young. Interesting. Interesting. Because they had kind of like a little rough patch there. Uh, <clears throat> player, player to watch today. What, what are some of the players that you like to watch? Oh, you know, I, I've been trying to pick off a little bit more of the Italian and, and, and German league. Sometimes I get over Premier League, to be honest with you, as much as I love it. Um, I think the players that I'm really keeping an eye on is the American player, because I think we're on unprecedented time. So, you know, Ricardo Pepe going to Augsburg. I'm obviously keeping an eye on him with the yeah. transfer fee and everything else. And, and all the Americans in Europe, because ultimately they're coming back to be a part of our national team. I think they can make some noise. I think they're a motivated bunch of young guys. I think they can do some things that have never been done before when it comes to our U.S. national team. And of course, we have the World Cup in 2026. God, please bring it to Houston. <laughs> right, um, we're all praying. And, uh, and I know you're with me on that one, Christian. <laughs> yes, but, I am. But, but my eyes on, on, on these young, ambitious U.S. players right now. Awesome. Question four, uh, what is something that you like about Houston soccer or the best thing about Houston soccer? The best That's thing about it is, is, is the many years of, of, you know, since I'm a little bit older now, seeing all the, the people come out of the youth community that are, that are making noise in the game, whether they're coaches, whether they're working with youth clubs. Uh, I love that sort of compounding nature that comes with a great soccer community. And of course, The multicultural thing here, look, I'm talking to an Argentine right now who loves the game of soccer, right? I'm a guy that grew up in New Jersey. We all have a common bond. We're all like-minded individuals. We're all passionate about the game. It's, it's, it's our game too. It's an American game now, okay, yeah. as well. So um, that's the thing I like about the soccer community. I just think we have to galvanize it and bring it together. Awesome. And last question. Uh, that I think everybody wants to know is who is the better defender or who was the better defender, Glenn Davis or Eddie Robinson? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> the more decorated one is going to be Eddie Robinson. We did have a lot of similarities that we did have some anger management issues probably, <laughs> but that's what came with the center back position in those days. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to give a nod to my man, Eddie, but you know, different times um and 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 differing places and differing experiences for both of us and you know for me to see you know when i was looking at those players that came in from san jose that we got gifted that team that was a gift we didn't build that team that was a gift to houston right and and those guys were a tremendous bunch of guys and eddie was one of them um but when i look at that team and i remember them complaining about the locker room at the university of houston and i'm saying to myself well hell We didn't even have a locker room. We had to share right. it at U of H and, you know, we had the rockets drop kicking us out of there before we were done taking our shower. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, it's all from your perspective, right? Right. Yeah. And when I hear people complaining about salaries, I'm going, Oh, wow. 
paying a thousand bucks a month in an apartment. You know, it's all really relative to our own experiences. And I think the real challenge is for us to get out of our experiences and go directly to the things that we all know and we're taught and be able to see it in a bigger picture. And, you know, that's just a fun example of, you know, you look ahead. Now you look at, you know, now Eddie's going, my God, look at what these players have, right? I mean, this, right. is, this yeah. is the way it goes. For me, I can't even believe it, right? But um, it, it's, it's very different. It's, it's also very cool to watch it progress. Awesome. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you for, for jumping on and, you know, kind of sharing a little bit of your story here on the show. And uh, yeah, if you want to just let everybody know, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody knows where they can listen to you. But if you want to just go ahead and let everybody know where they can listen. You may be the vine for shameless promotion. All right. Soccer Matters on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Next, we'll be on next Wednesday, but generally Tuesdays. And I don't know if people know, but I have a, another show on in Austin on the horn. And there is a lot of Austin FC talk. I, I mean, obviously, if you're doing a radio show up there, you have right. to cover it. Don't get upset, Dynamo fans. <laughs> Just a guy going into another market doing radio, trying to spread the lore. In fact, there is some Dynamo talk uh, up there as well. And um, you get a sense of what's going on in Austin, too, and, and, and other markets. It's just another hour of more soccer content. Um, yeah. And you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, at Glenn Davis Soccer, at Soccer Matters GD. Same thing on Instagram. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in. Don't forget, you can always follow Cuatro Cuatro Dos, you know, at Cuatro Cuatro Dos on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, thank you guys for everything. And we'll see you guys next time. Cuatro Cuatro Dos. Thank you, Christian. Exactly. Thank you so much.